Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said... Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the living creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Emma, thanks very much indeed. Do keep your Bibles open um, to uh, Genesis chapter one. We'll be coming back to that chapter in just a moment. The other thing you might like to do is to dig out um, the the handout, the white handout that you were given on the way in, uh, the sermon outline. Uh, And I think as I've said every week in these last weeks, I think you'll find it helpful whether you like taking notes or not to see where we're going and uh, particularly to follow along with some quotes uh, that come a bit later on. As we get the Bible and um, our handout in our hands, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we've uh, sung already, uh, as we've sung together, that generations rise and fall. Uh, We're here now. There was a previous generation before us that have gone, will go one day, and others will be sitting here. We don't last forever. But we thank you that your word is lasting We're in this generation where we're thinking thoughts that are different to the previous generation. And so we thank you that uh, while things come and go and change, your word is living and sure and lasts forever. And we pray that uh, that would be our help and our guide and our assurance tonight as we again come to grapple with a difficult and engaging issue. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout this series, almost every week, we've noticed how attitudes have changed so rapidly in British society in the last, what, 30, 40, 50 years. In marriage and cohabitation, in the legalising and accepting of same-sex marriage, even in the public perception of pornography. And so often, with that rapid change, uh, we, the church, has been extraordinarily slow in engaging with these issues and been thinking about them theologically or indeed knowing how to engage with them pastorally. And that, I think, is to our shame. Now, as we come this week to consider transgender, we come to another issue that is moving extraordinarily quickly. And so it is crucial that we get to grips with this issue theologically, that we understand what the Bible says, and think carefully how we engage pastorally so that we're not left all at sea as it moves forward. Today, 50% of youth consider themselves to be gender fluid. That is, they don't identify themselves as having a fixed gender. They may feel more boy some days and more girl on others. Gender fluidity has nothing to do with which set of genitalia one has or sexual orientation. It's about how you feel. And even mentioning gender fluidity introduces us to the fact that there are many different aspects to what I'm putting under the term transgender. Whether we understand all the definitions or not, we will increasingly meet people who don't fit into a traditional binary view of the sexes, you know, male and female. 
And definitions here are important. If you've not seriously thought about this issue, then you need to know there are many different words and descriptions in this whole area. Apart from transgender people, uh, people will call themselves bi-gender, intersex, non-binary, androgynous, transsexual, non-binary, gender queer. And there are subsections within those definitions, trans boy, trans male, trans, transgender female, transgender male. Now, some of you may well be aware of all those kind of categories. And tonight I want to say that I'm aware of them. I don't pretend to understand them all, but I'm aware that there are many different categories. But I'm going to ask you to allow me to use the term transgender this evening as an overarching term for this whole issue. It's not perfect, but if I don't do that, I'll be making so many caveats along the way, we won't know whether we're coming or going. Now to help us, uh, you'll see on the handout a definition from dictionary.com. Uh, transgender, uh, noting or relating to a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth. Now, please note that being transgender often has nothing to do with sexual orientation. Perhaps it's most classically expressed, but again, uh, understand that there are so many different expressions, but it's perhaps most classically expressed by someone saying, I'm a woman trapped inside a man's body, or vice versa. See, it's about how people feel deep down, not about sexual intercourse in the first place or even at all. All that said, this is not about categories and definitions as important as they are. No, this is about real people. And many of us here will know people who are transgender, especially at school and at university. You will know people who were born one gender but who are now presenting themselves as the opposite gender, perhaps transitioning through gender reassignment therapy and surgery, But again, it's important to know that not all trans people either want or are able to have that kind of invasive physical change. So transitioning might involve telling people you want to be known as someone of the opposite sex, changing your name, dressing differently, and then changing official documents without ever having any gender reassignment therapy or surgery. Many of us will know people who are transgender, But even if we don't, we'll have engaged with this issue through news stories. Uh, Recent news stories include uh, whether someone who is transgender should be sent to a male or female prison. Or who should be allowed to use which public toilets and whether restrooms should be gender neutral. Perhaps the biggest news stories of late have involved children. Uh, Children, including primary school children, who want to be known as someone of the opposite to their birth sex, who change their name and dress differently at school. And with that comes the issue that is beginning to affect every primary school child. Namely, how should we relate to those who are going through transition and what the state should be teaching about this in sex education. This is huge. One way or another, it is a highly significant issue in our society right now. And just as we've seen right through this series, this is not an issue that is just out there in the world. Well, even if it was, we should seriously engage with it because the gospel is relevant to everyone and we need to know how to relate thoughtfully and with grace and truth to everyone we we meet. And people who are transgender need the gospel as much as everyone else, not more, just the same. They are as loved by God as anyone else. So we need to get to grips with this for evangelistic reasons, but beyond that, let's be clear, this is an issue that some Christians are wrestling with personally here. I've been pastoring people who are transgender or their loved ones for the past 12 years or more. It's not a new thing. What is new is the way it's being embraced by and accelerated in society. 
And with things changing so dramatically, so quickly, we need to be sure we're not behind the curve. So where do we start? Well, as ever, we turn to the Bible for our help, just as we've been singing and praying. And this evening, we're going to start at the beginning with, with creation, Genesis chapter 1, our first point on the handout, creation. What does the Bible say about transgender? Maybe we'd be better to ask, how does the Bible help us to understand and engage with the issue of transgender? And there is a lot more in the Bible than you might think. I love this about the Bible. We're confronted with something that we might think of as a thoroughly modern issue, and the Bible engages with it. At the heart of transgenderism is the theological issue of dualism. Now, in in Christian theology, dualism can mean lots of different things. But this evening, the way I'm using that term is when there is a, a wrong distinction between the physical and what I'm going to call the spiritual. When we fail to see that the physical is good, or if I may put it this way, that the physical is spiritual. Let's have a look at Genesis 1 and you'll begin to see what I mean. When we started this series, we saw that in Genesis chapter 1, everything God created was good. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, God created everything. Everything we see in this universe came from the hand of God. And as we read through the the first chapter, the constant refrain is that everything God created is good. Verse 3, did you hear that refrain as Emma was reading it? Verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. Verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, same thing again. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit and seed in in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And that refrain continues right through the chapter. End of verse 18. And God saw that it was good. End of verse 21, and God saw that it was good. Over the page, end of verse 25, and God saw that it was good. And then after making human beings, verse 31, the way this chapter ends, and God saw that it was very good. Now that is not only very good, but it's very important. God made a good world because God is a good God. God's creation reflects God's character. All this we saw way back in week one of this series. Now look, what that means is that physical stuff is good. Again, allow me to use this phrase this evening. Physical stuff is spiritual. In Genesis chapter one, trees and flowers are good. Apple trees and daffodils, they're good. Elephants and flamingos are good. Planets and stars are good. The sea and the land is good. Bodies are good. And that's the crucial thing for us this evening. Our bodies are good. More than that, our bodies are spiritual. Just think about Jesus. His coming to us in a body is very affirming of the body. So Vaughan Roberts writes, uh, and uh, this is the book to read, really, if you want to read any more. It's, it's written at the end, but it's just called Transgender by Vaughan Roberts. You'll see this first quote from page 56. Christ being born on earth as a human being, that is a wonderful affirmation of our created bodies. The Son of God was born in human flesh. 
And he, was a gen- he wasn't a generic, a characterless template of a human being. He was born, raised, and lived as a man. Now you see the body is good, and you see the last phrase, that means gender is good. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God made us male and female. That's very important. God made us male and female. Making a person male or female is God's initiative. Now look, having seen that clearly in Genesis chapter one, here's where dualism, as I'm calling it, is so unhelpful. Dualism talks about the physical as if it were not spiritual, as if it were not good. Dualism suggests that matter doesn't matter. Dualism drives a wedge between material stuff like bodies and the real me. And Christians unhelpfully slip into that kind of wrong thinking more often than we might realize. So in casual conversation over coffee, after church, someone might ask us, how, life's go- how is life going for you? And we might answer them by talking about what we did yesterday and how the family are and how school or uni or work is going. And then our friend might say to us, and how's your spiritual life? And without blinking an eyelid, we'll start talking about our prayer life, our Bible reading and our evangelism. And you see what has happened in that conversation. We've made a distinction between everyday life and our spiritual life. So if you asked me about my spiritual life and I began to tell you about a recent tennis match I'd played, you might think that I'd just misheard the question. But playing tennis is a really spiritual issue. I should play it fairly. I can play it to get to know unbelievers. I can learn about suffering as I play tennis because I lose so often. I can can play it to keep fit and how I treat my body matters. It's a spiritual issue, do you see? Do you see how we draw an unhelpful line between the physical and spiritual world? What we should talk about is the seen and unseen world because everything God made is good. It's all, if I may use this phrase, it's all spiritual. And that is an issue that is grappled with in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. So leave Genesis for a moment and come back with me to, uh, uh, come forward uh, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 1148 is the page number, just so that we can see how this wrong understanding of this distinction between uh, spiritual and physical goes and how it's worked out in in a real church in Corinth. And if you haven't yet, you might want to turn over not only to page 1148, but over in your handout as well and what I've headed dualism worked out. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. That's probably something that the Corinthians were saying. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. It's in inverted commas there. It's probably what they were saying. And then Paul writes this. Halfway through verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. But by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that the one who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. In verse 16, there's a a verse from Genesis chapter 2 that we've been referring to again and again throughout this series. But look at the shock of the first part of verse 16. 
it seems that some of, some of the Corinthian Christians have been visiting prostitutes. Now, because you and I know that prostitution is wrong, we're amazed that they'd even dream of doing that. They're Christians, Christian church. But look, here's the point. If you think that your body and what you do with your body is not spiritual, what does it matter who you have sex with? Now, admittedly, going to a prostitute is quite extreme, but I find exactly this thing happening among Christians today. Not, I'm not thinking particularly of visiting prostitutes, although I don't doubt that some here will have done that. No, I'm thinking of, let me say, Christian students who are fully involved in the Christian Union. They might even have a place on the CU exec. I'm not thinking of any individual as I'm saying this. They're working hard to tell their friends the gospel, but they are sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Now look, what's going on there is far too involved and far too nuanced and far too complex to say it is just an issue of dualism, but it might be in part. In part, it's because we think our spiritual life is about prayer and Bible study and evangelism, and what we do as our body is not a spiritual issue. That's what's going on in Corinth, you see. But look again at verse 13, halfway through. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By God's, by God's power, God raised the Lord, Jesus, from the dead, and he'll raise us also. See what Paul is doing there? He's pointing to Jesus' resurrection to persuade the Christians here that the body is spiritual because Jesus was bodily raised. There is, at the moment, right now, a body in heaven. It is the body of the Lord Jesus. And when the general resurrection happens on the last day, our bodies, if we're Christians, will be raised too to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, the body, in that sense, is spiritual. Not like we leave the body behind because it's never needed ever again. We have bodily resurrection. And we encounter exactly the same issue of dualism in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this time affecting the sex lives of married couples. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry, but since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his... Uh, his marital duty to his wife, that is, he should have sex with her, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other. Do not deprive each other of sex. Now here is the opposite outworking of a wrong dualistic thinking. Paul has to encourage married couples in Corinth to be having sex regularly. You see, if you think that your body and what you do with your body is not spiritual, you might be so super spiritual that you want to avoid anything physical and just be about spiritual activities, just spending your time praying, not wasting your time in the bedroom. There have been some ascetics through Christian history who have lived exactly like this. People who have lived in the desert for years on end to get away from anything and anyone because they want to be spiritual. Again, it's a wrong view of the body. It's the wrong view of matter. And so Paul has to tell these Christian couples not to abstain from sex because as we've seen repeatedly throughout these weeks, sex is a good God-given gift for marriage. It is good. If I can put it like this, when a married couple make love, God doesn't walk out of the bedroom either in disgust or indifference. 
as if it's wrong or as if it has nothing to do with the spiritual life. So if you're married, verse 5, don't deprive each other, don't abstain from having sex. See, the point is sex is, being, is, is part of being spiritual because the body is spiritual. Now, all that by way of illustration of how a wrong dualism, a wrong distinction between the physical matter and the spiritual is kind of worked out. And once we have this clear, it is enormously helpful when it comes to understanding the most fundamental issue in the transgender discussion. The body is spiritual. The body is good. And by the body, I mean everything that makes up a body. My arms, my legs, my eyes, my ears are spiritual. My flesh and blood. Yes, my blood and blood vessels and protons and neurons and my chromosomes. So yes, if you are XY, that is good. That is spiritual. That is the way God has made you. And if you're XX, that too is good. That is spiritual. God made you a woman and that is good. And so we're back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created human beings in his own likeness, male and female, he created them. XY and XX, he created them. And that is so important when we consider the most obvious way the transgender issue is expressed. So when someone says, I feel as if I'm a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa, that statement assumes, this is the most important thing if you've just dropped off now, that statement assumes that it is the body that is wrong. See what they're saying? The real me, the spiritual me is a woman. The physical, the unspiritual bit's a man. So the assumption is I must change the unspiritual bit, the physical part of me. I've got to change the body to bring it in line with the real me deep down. The assumption is that the body is the part that needs to be changed in order to rectify the disconnect. But if we get our thinking right, we can look at the body, which is good, and know that God has made it so, and we say, no, no, no. The way you've been made physically is good, and there's nothing wrong with your body. And then we can begin to suggest that what's gone wrong is not the body, but the mind and the thinking and the psychology. Now, to understand this, we've got to move from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 3. And our second point on the handout, top of page 3, the fall. See, the very fact that people are grappling with this issue, this disconnect between being one gender and feeling as if we're another, the very fact people grapple with this is because we're no longer in the world of Genesis chapter 1 any longer. We're now in the land of Genesis chapter 3, in a world that is fallen because we've rejected God. We live in a world that is full of serious flaws. Sin has disrupted the world and it has many many consequences it has physical consequences and emotional consequences and psychological consequences and before we go any further let me say what I think I've said every week in this series we are all broken as a result of the fall none of us is perfect one way or another we are all flawed sexually And so sexual perversion is worked out in different ways in different people. So as I talk about transgender, and perhaps more importantly, as we talk to people who are transgender, there is no place for dismissive condemnation. No place at all. People who are transgender have feelings like you and me, so let's be kind and full of grace. 
whether we're looking them in the eye face to face or just seeing them walk along the street, let's not be smirking and laughing. Let's remember the gospel of grace has been extended to us. It's a terrible thing if we can't extend it to others. But as we do that, people who are transgender do have to be helped to think the way God thinks, just as we all do over different issues. Because we live in the world of Genesis chapter 3, we need to see that all the afflictions we suffer in this world are a result of the fall, physical and psychological. And the root of all our afflictions stem back to our rejection of God, rejecting his right rule in our lives and in our desire to rule our own lives our own way. That's what Genesis 3 teaches us. We want to disobey his command, all his commands, about what is right and wrong, and we want to decide how we will live. We want to make up the rules. Now, here's the big thing when it comes to the transgender discussion. The fall has not only affected the body, but it has also affected the mind. And we all have disordered desires. And the Bible teaches us that all disordered desires need to be resisted. Acknowledging that and understanding that the body and my physical sexuality is good, I then won't instantly jump to the conclusion that it is my body that's wrong when there's a disconnect between my body and how I feel inside. Yes, of course, as a result of the fall, sometimes the body does go wrong, which is why there's so much physical illness and disability in the world. But let's also realise our minds, our psychological state, how we think is also affected and warped as a result of living in a fallen world. So when someone says to me they feel like a woman trapped inside a man's body, I don't immediately assume that it is the body that is wrong. Indeed, as they sit in my study, if the body I'm looking at is good and perfectly functional... If the person I'm looking at has a male body that is working correctly, then would it not be strange to assume that it needs to be changed or repaired? John Wyatt, who is a Christian doctor, speaker and author, explains this brilliantly with what he calls the art restoration view. He says, think of us as flawed masterpieces. God is the great artist. He's created us. He made a brilliant job in his creation. But sin has come into the world and ruined the masterpiece. We're now flawed masterpieces. And so Vaughan Roberts, picking up this, view, this idea, uh, says, it's on the handout, if you see a work of art and you're asked to restore it, you don't look at it and say, well, I think he would look much nicer with a pair of spectacles. Or this scene would look better with a car instead of a hay cart. To do that is to break the code of the art restorer. Art restorers respect the work and know that their job is to bring out the artist's original intention. You see, if my physical body is male, that is God's intention, original intention for me. And because I don't think that the real me is inside and the physical is not spiritual, now I know that what needs to be restored is not the body but the mind. The damage is psychological, not physical. So when a man says to me, I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body, because sitting in front of me is a man with male genitalia and XY chromosomes, I know he is a man and I want to help him psychologically. It's the way he feels that is wrong, not his body. And so I must have compassion on him knowing that he feels 
um, that way as a result of the fall. And so I help him not by changing his body. He is a man. That is the way God has made him. That is God's intended creation. I help him with compassion and kindness, leading him to a biblical counsellor, praying for him, asking the Holy Spirit to sort out his mixed thoughts and his troubled mind. Dr. Paul McHugh was a psychiatrist-in-chief at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. His hospital pioneered sex change surgery for adults, but then he stopped offering it. He explains why. Again, it's on here. I concluded that to provide a surgical alternative to the body of these unfortunate people was to collaborate with a mental disorder rather than to treat it. And the Christian preacher and writer Sam Albury puts it very helpfully in these words. Our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. With Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 then in our hands, we need to help those who are transgender to see that if they refuse to acknowledge that what God has made them physically, that that is who they are, then they are rebelling against God and against how he has made them. And with Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 in our hands, we can say to those who consider themselves gender fluid, no, you are not. The physical gender that you are is who you are. That is your gender. And of course, these things need to be said with thought and kindness and with great compassion. But do be sure that saying these things is not an example of aggressive, hard-nosed theology. No, God is good. And he made us good. And he's for our good. And he knows what is best for us. He took the initiative to make us the gender we are. He doesn't make mistakes. And with that confidence, we really do help people when we help them to see who they really are. And please know that there is a huge misconception that gender reassignment is the panacea for transgender people. It really isn't. Desperately, really desperately, there are very high rates of suicide and depression after sex change. It's just far too simplistic to think that the kindest thing we can do is allow people to change their bodies. It's not that simple. And can I say this especially when it comes to children? Most children go through all sorts of phases as they grow up. Many people who've been uncertain about their sexuality in their childhood and adolescence, now as adults, have no such issues. Indeed, again, I quote Paul McHugh. When children who reported transgender feelings were tracked without medical or surgical treatment at both Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Clinic, 70 to 80% of them spontaneously lost those feelings. I think it's really irresponsible and deeply damaging to encourage children to transition. Of course we must help children as they go through confusing times, but then we do that with every aspect of parenting, don't we? Finally, in addition to understanding how God has made us, uh, what can we say to the trans person? Well, yes, over the page. We've talked about creation and fall. The other two great planks in the Christian worldview are redemption and new creation. So thirdly, redemption. See, the wonder of the gospel is that no one is beyond the loving reach of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? 
The cross of Jesus brings forgiveness and acceptance and assurance to anyone who turns to him in genuine repentance and faith. Anyone, everyone. That is no less true for anyone who's grappling with being transgender. Whether they are wanting only to cross-dress to express a way of living out their alter ego, or if they've comprehensively transitioned through gender reassignment therapy and surgery and legally changed their status... Whoever they are on that spectrum, there is a redemption at the cross. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. How that needs to be worked out will need to be dealt with very carefully indeed. It will mean repentance as well as faith because Jesus himself said that the only way into his kingdom is to repent and believe. So when I'm not thinking and acting in ways that are in line with God's word, I need to repent of that. That's true for everybody who becomes a Christian. As we talk about redemption in Christ, that doesn't mean we can promise a complete emotional and psychological change of mind on this issue. It might well be something that a person who is transgender will have to grapple with and struggle with for the rest of their lives just as all manner of psychological issues and and physical maladies are never solved this side of heaven. But Jesus is in the restoration business. He not only redeems us, whatever our flaws, but he seems to delight in redeeming this seemingly irredeemable. The Holy Spirit wants to restore us and he will work in us now and supremely and fully and completely in the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, which leads us to our fourth point, the new creation. Whenever we encounter the results of the fall in this life, it should make us long for the day when we'll be free from all our struggles in the perfect new heavens and new earth. We should all be distressed by all the fallenness that we see in the world around us whether it is the famine in Africa that Pete prayed for earlier, or human trafficking in Europe, or the misery of war zones like Iraq and Syria, or the physical, emotional and psychological suffering when we walk around hospital wards, or just the decay of our bodies through getting older. When we see all this stuff, it should make us long for that day when God ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. We should long to be with the Lord and free from all this stuff. And if we all begin to think and talk about our longing for that glorious future, that will help the transgender person amongst us. As they struggle perhaps every single day of their life for the rest of their life with their particular affliction, it will help them to know that while they have their issue, we have our issues and we are struggling in this life too and we also long for the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteous. Won't that help them? Let me speak to you personally. If this is your issue, let me say to you now, you need not be outside the love and embrace of the God who is uh, revealed to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, you need not be outside of this church family. Transgender, if it is your issue, let me say to you, we want to stand with you And we want to help you and bring your thinking in line with the Bible and you can help us as we grapple with our issues. 
because we're not perfect either. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you once again that your word gives us everything we need for every complex issue, every personal struggle that we engage with in this life. We want to thank you for the glorious truth of redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ, for the wonderful thought of the new heavens and the new earth where we'll finally be free of all the things that are wrong in this world. And we pray that redemption and the new creation would be often on our lips. Not just when we're talking to people who are struggling with transgender issues, but all the time. We pray that we as a church family would be a people who rejoice in the cross of the Lord Jesus as we are going to do in a moment in communion. And who long to be with you forever above everything else. And we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.